it was something. It was opening that package and having that moment where I was just excited about something silly and that you can be excited about something silly. Throw pillows. Yay, today's good. Today wasn't all bad. I was sad for 23 hours, but at the 24th hour, I got new throw pillows. And so it was something to look forward to. And you hang on to those moments. Are you looking for real life, tried and true tips and tricks to help with all the nitty gritty stuff of mom life? Well, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Mom Force. All right, guys, you are in for a real treat today. I have with me in the studio a real life OG member of the Mom Force. Please welcome Keenan Sanders. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Keenan is all the way here in Utah from Seattle, Washington. What brings you to Utah today? I came down, work, chat books, and to do a visit with you guys. I come down a couple times a year, and it's always great to be in the office. Tell us what you do for chat books. I do a little of everything. I um, run our social media team. I work here on the podcast and also been an admin on the MomForce page. So a lot of our listeners will know me from there. Yeah, you'll recognize her face. She's at the very top, the welcome to the MomForce post. And if you ever ask to have something posted anonymously, Keenan usually takes care of that. I'm too. your girl. She is our girl. <laughs> you And you also might remember I shared a story of what happened to her camera. You lost all of your photos. Yes, nothing backed up. So I thought I had all of these photos. And as iPhones do, They come to an end. I had just taken for granted that they were backed up to the cloud. They were not, and I lost all of them. Luckily, she had an Instagram feed, and through a Google search, she found chatbooks, and we were able to print these precious photos for her. And later... I know. That's how this started. That is actually how it started. Here I am. Well, we are so grateful to have you on the team. But if you remember from that episode... The reason why Keenan lost all those photos is they weren't uploading to the cloud because she was in a hospital. Her daughter, who was suffering from a rare form of cancer, um, had been in the hospital for many, many weeks and lots of complications. It's, it's a long, complicated, tragic story. Yep. And I am sure, it, even though it's been five years, the pain never fully goes away. Um, it changes you forever. Yeah, the pain, you know, manifests itself differently and it evolves over time, but it is something you live with. It exists as part of you and it just changes who you are. You've learned some important things, which I think you actually use in your job of customer service because (laughs) don't often customers vent about things that have nothing to do with their books. They're suffering for other reasons and they take it out on you. Listen, I've been there. I will tell you that after I was going through what I had gone through, there were days I would be great, and there were days that someone was going to get it. <laughs> you just had to unleash on it didn't, someone. You never knew who the target was going to be, but, you know, if my Comcast bill was wrong, then that was a day we were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do so well handling those special customers, and I am so grateful. Well, the reason I asked you to join us today for this episode, Keenan, is we get a lot of questions on the MomForce Facebook group about how to help friends or loved ones that are struggling with loss and I thought maybe you would be the right person to to answer those questions for I us. I do. I have a unique perspective. And anytime I see those questions pop up on the MomForce page, my heart aches for them because I've been on both sides of it. And I know it's so hard as a friend to comfort somebody that's going through something so, so difficult. But on the flip side, I really know what that friend needs. And sometimes it's not the most obvious thing. Well, can you just tell us um, a little bit more about her story? Yeah, so my daughter Leighton was born healthy. Leighton came out stunning. She was 
this beautiful baby, red hair. We have no idea where it came from. Absolutely. Red hair. (laughs) Me too. Healthy, sweet as could be. Um, Home for a few weeks. No big deal. Nothing. No health concerns. Going to our doctor's appointments. Same thing. She was a little um, gassy. She would get kind of an upset stomach and she would spit up. But everybody assured me, this is a newborn. Newborn spit up. Okay, okay, okay. Gosh, it just... Her stomach seems upset to me, but I let it go, went back to the doctor. We did all the normal routines, and she was great, you know, just home, living newborn life and sweatpants and hanging out and kind of adjusting to having two kids. And my son, we had taken him to Disneyland, and he was running through a splash pad, and he takes a header right off the cement and busts his front tooth in half. And of course, to me, this is like, I have broken the child. Our lives are over. This was the most dramatic thing as a parent I could think of happening was this child's broken tooth. I was like, we have to always dress him well now. Like, (laughs) no overalls for us. (laughs) So Oh, no. And so the dentist said, yeah, you've got to get this tooth pulled. And he had to get a physical because he was going to go have to go under anesthesia. Mm -hmm. It was a new doctor that was performing the physical. And I said, listen, while I'm here, will you just take a look at this baby's belly? Like, I swear it looks distended to me. And everyone's just told me this is gas. You know, this is just baby blow. This doctor looked at it and she said, you know what? I think your concerns are valid. And they said, take her to Children's Hospital. Their worry was this was appendicitis or perhaps something with her kidney. You know, they'd asked, has she pooped? I was like, yes, plenty. (laughs) Um, So they had me take her down to Children's Hospital, which I did, fully expecting appendicitis. We checked in. They did a bunch of scans, and they came back, and they told us we found a very large mass in her abdomen. And I'm like, what do you mean? What does that mean? And what they said was, it looks like a neuroblastoma. A neuroblastoma is um, one of the most common infant cancers. And so they took us up, they admitted us, and they told us what the next two years of our life are going to look like and what the plan is. And at the time, it was about the size of an orange. And so it was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And a five-month-old belly. Uh, no, she at this point, she was only... Uh, two months old. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, and uh, she was a petite little thing. They did a biopsy three days later, and they came back in, and they said, you know, it is cancer, but we're going to surgically remove it. It's our only option. So we scheduled a surgery, and 10 days later, we went home. I was kind of living my normal life. I thought, gosh, they told me this is a five-day recovery. Good news, we're not going to be in a children's hospital dealing with cancer for the next three, four years of our lives. This is going to be okay. And one day, I remember sitting there and thinking, gosh, her legs look swollen this isn't right. And I drove back to the hospital and refused to leave until somebody checked her out. And a mother's intuition. Yeah. You know, it's just your gut instinct. And I I sat there a little bit stubbornly and I said, bring someone else. I want somebody to take a look at this. I know I'm right right now. They brought him in and they said, yeah, um, the tumor started to feed into itself, which was making the tumor grow rapidly. And so they scheduled a surgery for the next day, which we told would be five hours. She went into surgery the next day. On hour 13, we started to get concerned. And I think it was 16 hours later, we got called back and you go down this hallway to talk to this surgeon. And it feels like the final mile. Your heart is beating out of your chest. And we sit down and they say, okay, I think it went well. And we're like, think? (laughs) And he's like, we got 90% of the tumor out. But it turns out this tumor had formed in utero. So while the baby was developing and while you were pregnant, 
the tumor had been growing and all of her organs had developed within the tumor. So it encapsulated everything. Now I'm thinking, okay, like, but you fixed it. So yay, see you in five days. <laughs> Can't wait yeah. to go home. And we went up to the ICU and they warned us, you know, she's going to swell. This is going to be scary, but it, this is all part of the process. Five days later, they had to do like just a kind of a cleanup surgery, called us back. It was supposed to be about an hour surgery. They called us back in 15 minutes. And I went in and met the surgeon. He said, the entire bowel is dead. She will never be able to consume food. She will not eat. She will not be able to nourish herself. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, but she's on an operating table right now. So I need you to not talk to me and go back and finish yeah. the surgery. I did not understand the magnitude of a bowel. I had no idea. She was kept alive using a drug that would basically provide her body the nourishment it needed. But to fast forward through a lot of the story, it was just one issue after the next for this poor child. And we discussed um, transplants. You can only live without a bowel for so long. And so we discussed transplants. And that's not a thing. You get all five organs together. And you have to have a donor that is a baby size and healthy, and that doesn't exist. Um, she would have had to live to one to even be a candidate, which we thought, we can do this, we can do this, like we're just going to fight for a we year. We do anything. We will do anything yeah. at this point. You will do anything. And that's when we found out that if we get to one and we find a donor, because we have a pre-existing condition of cancer, we will not be eligible for that transplant. And we were just dumbfounded. Even if we get out of this and we get to the end of the tunnel, it's a dead end. And at that point, we said, we let her fight. We cannot do surgery every single week of this child's life. Mm -hmm. So we um, stopped the surgeries and she passed away a week later. And she had been in the hospital for about 12 weeks at that point. And I just, I couldn't watch her suffer anymore. Oh my goodness. So it was, it was a tough one. I know a little bit about grief. Yes, you do. I think when we hear about someone who's going through something like like this, it's just so hard to know exactly what that is. Yeah. And just hearing you share these details, like it feels unfathomable. Like how did you survive? You know, it's so bizarre. There were times where I was like, this is very out of body. It was happening to somebody else. Like I would hear the story and I would understand the story and it didn't sound like me. You know, I thought, how could it be? And then there were other days where the grief was so unbearable. I sat on that hospital floor and screamed at people that I could feel myself dying. I can feel myself die with her. And I was certain of it. I thought if she doesn't leave this hospital, I don't leave this hospital. And I, I believed that to my core. And, you know, on the other hand, I have a three-year-old and... People That's were right. and people were like, "You're such a good mom," and I was like in such a bad place with the world that I said, "Stop telling me this. I don't know where my three year old is. I have no idea who's watching him today. The only thing that's making me a good mom is because I got stuck here, and I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to be angry, yeah. and I wanted to be sad, and you have all these emotions at once, and <laughs> you start to expect bad to worse, and so bad things would happen to us, and I'd be like, "Yep." Like, Sounds right. That what's next? Because got, you lost your job as I a result my, of having to be I in the hospital. I lost my job on uh, week six. I got fired from my job. Not chat books. She had she no. hadn't come to us yet. But. No, absolutely not chat books. I got fired from my job, and they said, you know, we just really need somebody to 
you know, fulfill this role. And I just said, yep. And I just hung up. I, someone hit my car in the parking lot. Todd from Montana. Todd from Montana left me a note and said, I hit your car. And I was like, you sure did, Todd. Did you call him back? No, I didn't care. Like, what else? What does you know? it matter? What does it matter? Right. Sure, you did. And, you know, and we had some really terrible things happen. People do terrible things. I was very open with what my daughter was going through. And I did use social media and a blog to update people because everyone wanted to know her story. And it was hard. Didn't it get international media attention? It did. So we had got interviewed um, by our local news channel. Mm -hmm. The interview got picked up um, by national news and then it got picked up internationally. And meanwhile, I am in the bubble of Children's Hospital. I have no idea that any of this is going on until I'm getting calls and I'm getting friend requests from all over the world. But you're stretched so thin and you're already so emotionally fragile that I couldn't answer everybody. So I was like, you know, I'm going to use my Instagram and update people. But there are dark sides everywhere. And people took those pictures and people took my words and they set up fundraising websites, you know, took money from people that we never saw. Like fraudulent, Mm -hmm. fraudulent fundraising. Oh my Tons of them. I mean, tons of them are out there. It is so hard to imagine. Yeah. And it's just so awful. And you're in, you're already so defeated by just being in this heartbreaking situation that what am I going to do about it? It just was happening and it was terribly sad and heartbreaking. And we let it happen because it was, I didn't have the fight in me. And But here you are five years later and you're one of the most bright, bubbly, fun, optimistic people <laughs> that I know. It is an absolute miracle. It, it really is. I think even right after we went through this, I was like, I'm going to be sad forever. I truly believed I'm going to live in a shadow of sadness for the rest of my life. And I'm just going to have to fake my way through forever. And I believed that. And I think anybody who's experienced grief to any degree really has had that moment where they're like, well, this is how I live my life. I'm now sad forever. I mean, there were days even in the hospital where it would be fleeting, but I'd be like, I had one good moment today. And you would hang on to that moment. And it was like, maybe tomorrow I can have two good moments. I mean, they were so small sometimes, but you just hold on to those good moments. And you know, then she died and we went home and you know, one day I would have a good hour. And gosh, maybe the next week I had almost an entirely good day. It's like, okay, I can do this. I can. There are still things I enjoy. Yes, I am sad, but I'm also happy at the same time. And it's really weird that they can coexist, but they can. People see me now and they're like, oh, but you're so great. And it's not that I'm not sad about this, you know, and it takes a while to get there. So I will say, take this with a grain of salt. It's five years ago. Like time is so, so, so crucial. Yeah. Well, Keenan, I am sorry for all that you've been through, but I am grateful that you're willing to share, and I'm grateful that you're willing to be here to help answer some of these hard questions that we've received on the Mom Force Facebook group. You've I'm seen happy them. To. I you've have. You've seen them, and my heart goes out to them. And so, if you don't mind, of course, may we be in? Yes. Okay. So this first question comes from Jillian. And Jillian says, my neighbor recently delivered her little girl at 21 weeks gestation and after being in the NICU for 20 days, passed away. What could I do to show that we are thinking of them without overstepping? She isn't a close friend, just a neighbor, so I want to respect their privacy. Any advice is appreciated. 
And that's so hard because you think you're doing the right thing. And I had so many people that thought they were doing the right thing for me. And I was like, space, I need to heal. Like, I need to heal away from you, especially somebody you're not close with. If she comes in and knocks on the door and comes sits down on her couch, there is an obligation on the other side where she wants to entertain you. She's doing this for her neighbor, you know, who she doesn't know super well. The best thing I think you can do is just leave something on the porch and walk away. Even if it's just a kind note, like we're thinking of you, if we can help with absolutely anything, here's my phone number. People would come over and walk my dog. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about my dog. (laughs) Like, thank you. (laughs) You know, just leave a card that says something meaningful and don't expect a response. Nothing that requires anything of this person. Yeah, it's so hard to... Thank every single person that does a kind thing for you and says a kind thing for you and you want to. It's like human nature to say thank you. And I think people doing something for somebody else, don't expect that. If you're really, really, truly just want to help, it's okay. Don't say thank you to me. And I think if you just come quietly, leave a note of support and, hey, you know, here's my phone number. If I can do anything, grab you groceries, drop off dinner. Here is, you know, a gift card for pizza. Feed your kids. Just yeah, something still to, need to do that. Still yeah, because, uh, yeah, kids, ha- I mean, the rest of your family has to eat. You know, there are still obligations in everyday life that you have to do. And it seems silly. I think it was a month after Leighton died, I was at preschool orientation and I was, I didn't want to see anybody that I knew because I didn't want questions. And so her friend probably wants some solitude and some time to mourn and some time to go through the whole grieving process by herself. But those notes and messages mean so much. Would you give different advice if this friend was a a close friend? Yes. So I had a couple of close friends who I turned to And they got the ugly side of me. And they got, you know, some people got the like, I'm so sad and here's my story. And then my close friends were me screaming and kicking walls. Because you've got to vent. You have to vent. And don't give advice. Don't give advice to your friends. Let them scream. Let them curse out the world if they need to. If that's where they are that day, let them talk and talk and talk and talk. And the best advice I can give to a close friend is Do not give them advice. My own dad said to me when we were talking about what do we do? We've kind of reached the end of our rope and our options are being limited. And my dad said, I will support you. I am here to support you. I'm here to listen to you. I will never tell you my opinion on this. And it was like, I was like, no, no, no. I want you to tell me what to do. You're my dad. I need directions right now. But in hindsight, I am like, what if he said something different than I was thinking? And now I live that. And, you know, I had really close friends of mine that, gave me their opinions on a lot of things and I hear it to this day and it's I had to walk away it was like something so simple that I think they met innocently enough yeah that stung so deep that I never unheard it so I think for a close friend the best advice you can do is sit down and just be talked at because sometimes people just need that sounding board and they need to vent and help your friend drop off food and do all that and come and stay and take their kids and do their laundry and give them some help, but give them space, understanding, and just be an ear. You're right. The answer is always, you're right. (laughs) My friend gave me some great advice. My friend Tina, she says that when someone's going through something hard, you should only say, I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm here for you. Yes. That was it. I even said, you know what I want you to say right now? Life sucks and I'm sorry. Because People would try to say the right thing. I cannot tell you 
how many people said to me, everything happens for a reason. No. Oh, oh. I was like, nope, 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 please. I that's, a, that's someone who's trying to, they're well-meaning. They're, they're trying well-meaning. to give you some comfort, but there's no comfort. There's no comfort in like that. I, I just, I cringe when I hear it and I get it. And it took me to be removed from the situation a while to understand that this wasn't said to hurt me, but it did hurt me. And it was really hard for me to get past that and not be resentful. I know it wasn't meant poorly. People are uncomfortable and they don't know what to say. It is okay to say nothing. Yeah, that's great advice. Better to say nothing. (laughs) Probably best to say nothing. Um, There was another question from Melanie. And she says, I know someone who suddenly lost her 10-month-old due to meningitis. I would really like to send her something, but nothing I come up with seems like enough. Any suggestions? So I'm assuming this friend doesn't live close enough to just drop by and bring dinner or walk a dog. Um, If you wanted to send something, what would you suggest? It's so hard. I mean, nothing is enough. She's right. She's absolutely right. We got sent some of the most outrageous things. Again, well-intended. But I look back and I'm like, why? Like what? Well, we were in a hospital, for starters. And we would get packages of gauze pads. Um, Wait, seriously? um, (laughs) She had a pick line because they thought they were going to do chemo. And they would send us like extra caps for those. And and I thought, why are they doing this? And then I realized... They're not doing it for me. They are doing it for them. A lot of gift giving is, you know, people need to do something to help you. But, like, it's not always helpful. A lot of the people that were sending medical supplies to a hospital, I thought, you're crazy. And then I thought, realize these are parents who have lost children to cancer. Just at such a loss that they do not know what to do and they need to help me because they couldn't help them. And so I understood it a little bit. But from close friends, we had people that sent plants. Do not send high-maintenance plants. My job that fired me sent Never me, send me a plant Sent ever, me an orchid. An orchid. Some people sent very large, obtrusive gifts, framed quotes, and stuff like that. And it was so well-meant. Once we got home, these gifts were like kind of a reminder of a really traumatic experience and I didn't want them in my house and then I had guilt about giving away gifts that people had given me when they were being so thoughtful but I don't know that I need stained glass art like I don't know that I want the statue and these people would take pictures from my Instagram and like blow them up huge and I know they were well intended the stuff that I kept we have a a company out of Seattle Glassy Baby and they have their hand-blown candle holders like votives and they're really gorgeous and they're all uniquely made and they all have great names and one of them was hope and one of them was healing and one of a miracle and it was nice because it was subtle and if I wanted to look at it and have that moment of gosh that friend appreciates me or this is a nice time to remember my daughter it was there for me to do without me walking into something and what about gift cards Gift cards, yes, but gift cards are very specific. We got a ton of gift cards. I love gift cards, but, you know, my daughter just died. I don't want to go to the Cheesecake Factory tonight. Like, this is not where I'm – I'm not headed to the mall. And we got a lot of very specific, like, restaurant cards. I got spa cards, which normally, like, ooh, spa day, great. Not this week. Even when we were at the hospital, people didn't understand I didn't want to leave the hospital. They kept giving me hotel stays and things to get me out of the hospital, and I didn't want to leave the hospital. I wanted to stay there. So I loved gift cards, just not anything that required me to get off my couch. After Leighton died, the best thing people did for me, and as like materialistic and cheesy as this sounds, gift cards so I could shop. 
because you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to sit on my couch and I wanted to buy things. I am a strong believer in the power of retail therapy Mm -hmm. and I shopped. And I don't even want to know how much money I spent that summer on stuff that I am sure I've tossed since. (laughs) It was so silly. But having a package come in three to five days was a reason for me to look forward to something in three to five days. And I'm going to be excited about that. So people sent crate and barrel cards or Pottery Barn cards or Amazon cards and let me shop. Let me wow. sit and use this gift card from my couch without guilt. I, think, I wouldn't have thought of that. But I now that think, you're saying it, I can see how. I mean, I get excited in my normal life yeah, to I have like, a package coming. Presents. Yes. Like, you know, it was it was, it was, was something. It was opening that package and having that moment where I was just excited about something silly and that you can be excited about something silly. Throw pillows. Yay, today's good. Today wasn't all bad. I was sad for 23 hours, but at the 24th hour, I got new throw pillows. And so something to look forward to. And you hang on to those moments. Yeah, I love that. Okay, another question. This is from Megan. And she says, can we talk about explaining death and helping a child through grief of losing a loved one? Any favorite resources? I mean, you had, how old was Logan? Leighton died three days before Logan's fourth birthday on what should have been his fourth birthday party. We had invitations. We were having oh a petting goodness. zoo. We It was terrible. My biggest fear was when the reality of the situation was presented to us was that she would die on his birthday. And I thought, he will live with us forever. And he was, this child is born to be a big brother. I mean, this was everything. This was his calling in life. She was, you know, his stars and his moon. So so that was really, really difficult. And he had known a little bit about what was going on. Obviously, Sissy wasn't at home anymore. And mommy was in the hospital all the time. And But we had not brought him into the ICU to see the scary things. Because we knew a three-year-old mind cannot absorb charts and monitoring and tubes, tubes and scars and and, yeah. and so but he had come into the cancer ward and then children's hospital is fantastic with playgrounds and clowns but then we had to tell him you know your sister died and I thought well you know we'll just say sissy went to heaven and that she's in a better place and therapists and the counselors that we met with were like no you you can't do it that way a three-year-old mind doesn't understand the concept of a better place yeah, you, what is heaven? What is heaven? And previously, and this is a terrible example, but our dog, our 15-year-old lab had died. And it was awful. And we had to, the dog had cancer and, you know, couldn't walk anymore. And we put the dog down. And later we explained to Logan that our dog has gone to heaven and he's now he's in a much better place and he's not sick and he feels so good now. And he was like, well, let's go get him. And I was like, Oh, honey, no, we can't go to heaven. Like, why can't we go to heaven? Dad drives a truck. <laughs> I was like, right, obviously. Like, oh, I was drive. like, I just pop it in four wheel <laughs> drive and head up to heaven. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, you know, it does make sense, as insane as it sounds. You know, you want to sugarcoat it and protect his little heart. And I thought this was just morbid to go tell my son, your sisters. And they said, tell you have to say dead. You have you had to, to say the word dead. We That's had to say the so, word so dead. Oh, I mean, I can barely say it now. And so we told him, you know, your sister died. Your sister is dead. And he, of course, cried. And But he he did get it. And as harsh as it was to explain that to him, it was black and white. And they said, as he grows up and starts to understand more, you know, you, whatever your belief system is and you want to introduce the concept of heaven, that is for after he absorbs the reality of the situation. To say something that black and white felt 
completely off of my gut instinct. But we now see after the fact that like those counselors were right. Like Mm -hmm. this was the way to do it. And Logan, he's like the sweetest kid. And just he we let him kind of guide the discussion. You know, you're in school and what are you what do they ask you in school? How many brothers and sisters do you have? It's the first first yeah. question they ask on every Get first day of school. Questions. Yep. All about me and here's Logan and he'll be like, Oh, I have three siblings. One's dead. And every parent and every teacher's like, oh, you know, and they call, I get calls and I get emails and, and they're all taken aback as just as we were when yeah. the counselors told us to present it that way. But I mean, that's his reality. And he's not saying it morbidly, but he's just saying like, oh, yeah, that's my sister. She died. And that's it. It probably is better for him because he doesn't have to wonder, like, what is this strange? Have we abandoned her? Why is she going to another place? Why isn't she in our family if she's still here? And, you know, we explain we still love her. She can still be part of our family, but she is dead. And And he's honoring that by including her in his And we we've never push that on him. We think it's wonderful and I think it's sweet that he has that love for his sister and he has that recognition that he does have another sister, but that was kind of for him to form. And yeah. over the five years since she has died, he's really created that relationship with her how he wanted it to be. And we didn't guide that. So it's a nice memory of him to have. Well, the one last question here. This is from Angelina and she says she's looking for recommendations for podcasts or books or Anything to help with someone dealing with loss or grief, anything like positive daily affirmations or anything, do you have anything else that you would suggest? It's so hard. I think if it's you going through it, you need to, you know yourself best. What helps you? Do you do you turn to books? Do you turn to, you know, messages or podcasts or whatever? Did anything you, help you? Nope. <laughs> Not a single thing. People sent me books and that I thought was the wrong move. Don't send me a book. I don't, you know what? I know I'm sad. Thank you. Like, thank you. I'm I don't not, need you to tell me. I don't need you to tell me. And and I boxed them all up. And I thought someday, if I have not been able to reconcile where I'm at with this grief, I will seek this out. Right now, I am sad because my daughter died. And I wasn't seeking out the reason behind my sadness or my grief. I said, I am mourning the death of a child. Right now I'm sad. I'm going to be sad. Nothing you say will make me not sad. And I'm going to go outside and scream. (laughs) And that's what I wanted to do. The thing that offended me the most was people would invite me over and say, you know, come over, bring Logan, like let him play, let him have a fun day. And okay. And it would be like, let's just act like normally we did. Like nothing (laughs) happened. Like let me have a normal day where we're not talking about this. And they would slip me the number to a therapist. (laughs) Like, could you imagine if this situation was different and I came over to your house for dinner and I was like, by the way, you you need therapy. Like, and I was like, this is so wildly offensive right now. Perhaps you think I'm not handling it well. I don't care what you think. (laughs) Like I'm handling it how is it's best for me right now. Listen, if next year you guys see me having like a serious meltdown and I'm unraveling (laughs) and something's going terribly wrong, let's revisit that. But we're in the thick of it. This is brand new. Let me go through these stages without you telling me I need therapy. Because the fact of the matter is, I know, but to hear that from an outside source was just rude. I mean, I was like, you might as well just told me I'm crazy. So peace out. We're leaving and we're not coming back. Okay. I've never given anyone the number to a therapist, but (laughs) I am worried that I might have said something like well-meaning and with good intentions to somebody. It's crazy. I've even done it. I mean, It's so hard because at the time, I'm just like, who are these people? What are you thinking? As I go through like the stages and I've now am sitting here five years later, 
I look back at a different perspective and I'm like, they meant well, you know, like I told you a story earlier about my friend who came over and while I was in the hospital and planted a vegetable garden because I had a great vegetable garden in my backyard at the time. And she planted all these vegetables, which was a really sweet gesture. But like I'm now raising a child who will never be able to consume food. And I'm in a hospital for 12 weeks, which are the only times those vegetables are going to be edible. And I thought, why are you doing that? But the fact of the matter is it was coming from such a good place. You know, yeah. everything that's done is coming from a good place. You might cringe when somebody tells you these things, like tells you everything happens for a reason. But it's not like they're trying to harm you. And everybody's done it. We've all been there. You've all said something. I've said something even after the fact, after Leighton, where I'm like, that was a hypocritical thing to say. <laughs> like, but you just don't know. I mean, yeah. you try to make it better. And a lot of times you make it worse. And I think the best advice I could offer anybody going through grief is be selfish and be vocal about being selfish. This is self-preservation time. You know what? You do you. And if anybody is getting in the way of you helping yourself, you either remove yourself or you let them know. Like, hey, and as a friend, the very best advice I could offer anybody is let your friend be selfish. They don't owe anybody anything. If they want to do something that is going to help them, just let them for a while. And that's the best thing you can do is, you know, people in times of grief need to be selfish. It is literally self-reservation. I'm so grateful that you have shared all these things with me. I feel a little more prepared for the inevitable because, unfortunately, all around us, there are people going through hard things. And you know what? I, I've got hard things of my own. Yeah. I haven't had to do go through something like you have yet. But you know, but. I think that's something to think about too is like just because somebody else's sadness isn't is as bad as yours, it doesn't make theirs invalid. You know, everybody's yeah. rock bottom is so different. Yeah, you know, that's true. And especially you don't know your rock bottom until you're there and most people will never discover it. I feel pretty confident that I found mine. Yeah. Like maybe I got there. Um, but a lot of people don't know. And I had a really hard time because people tried to compare grief. And people would say to me, oh, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. My child has sensory issues, so I know how it is going through something. And I would be like, I'm sorry, what? And it's like, you know what? Step back. Yeah, they're not the same thing. And that's an offensive thing to say. However, this is a struggle for what they're, you know, and this could yeah. be the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And so you don't know. You just can't. It's, it's just so hard because that is their lowest point. And that is their sadness. And so their grief is still valid, you know, yeah. even though it doesn't compare. And, you know, it's it's hard to be a friend when you think the thing you're going through is worse. And that's when it, you know, I was jaded for years. I was, people come to me and I'm like, that doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> you know? You're fine. <laughs> totally. You'll live. Oh, guess what happened to me today? And I was like, ooh, did your kid die of cancer? And they'd be like, well, that's morbid. And I'm like, well, then I think your thing is fine. <laughs> and it was like just so I was in such a I mean that was a darker place but yeah. but well, yeah thank you so much for being so vulnerable and candid about some really painful things and also being a great example of what time can do time can heal it gets better it doesn't fix everything but no. it does there are healing properties there are too. always going to be good moments you're not always going to be sad I love that yeah all right well you're amazing thank Thanks you so much me. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and let us know what you think. Also, check out the show notes for links to the things we talked about. And you can find a special Chatbooks discount code. 
All right, we'll see you next week.